0: Keeping it real. On cliffcentral.com. It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat.
1: Go go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. On radio. On
0: radio. More of the good stuff. Cliffcentral.com. Well, very good morning to you. My name is Dr. Cindy Siofansail at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I on Twitter. And I am now in my new time slot. So I will be doing the um, health hour every Monday between nine and 10. And I must tell you, getting here was an absolute nightmare. The traffic, uh, you know, that William Nickel off-ramp, that William Nickel off-ramp is demonic. It needs Jesus. It needs help. But hey, I'm here and I'm really glad to be here. This morning, my guest is, um, Asante Shongwe. And, you know, we'll be discussing a sister dying. I mean, it's a topic that's been, you know, on it's been in our newspapers. I mean, the minister released a statement a few days ago. And I think that um, people don't really understand what assisted dying is. So, it's, um, so the best person to unpack all of this, I felt, is a very great friend of mine, Gwanele. I mean, Gwanele is a lawyer. She's a bioethicist bioethic, um, as well. And she's also um, survived breast cancer. So she's had to face a terminal illness you know, in the eye So thank you so much for being here, Guanella. I'm really happy to see you Good morning, listeners Good morning, Dr. Cindy Thank you for having me Looking forward to our health chat So the first thing I wanted to ask you, Guanella. I mean, I think when I first met you It was around the issue of of your having survived breast cancer You, had a, you have a, a heart condition And you have an, a, you know, an inserted defibrillator Your interest in health, from law to health, and then specifically on bioethics, where did that all begin? What was your experience, you know, within the sector that led you to to now think, let me work in in this sector?
1: You know, I have always been interested in issues of rights and access to social goods for everyone. So I had studied law, and shortly before, and I must say, I studied law... As a second career. Okay. I had initially studied psychology and sociology, qualified, went to work in corporate, didn't like it, got paid bucket loads of money, but my soul wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to law school, finished, did my articles, and literally a month after finishing my articles, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, my goodness. And I just... Vividly remember that day It was a beautiful April day Life was continuing as normal And I popped into the doctor because I had a lump Mm. And this lump After three weeks Had rendered me A new person Mm. I was suddenly not the young High-flying, emerging lawyer At 37 I had just turned 37 three weeks prior Mm. Um, So we Decided my treatment options for all my breast cancer. I had a bilateral amputation. In ordinary people, English, it just means removal of both breasts. Mm. And then I went on chemo. Unfortunately, I started feeling that my heart was doing something funny around chemo number four. Yeah. And at that time, my doctor said, you know, just concentrate on your treatment. Uh, palpitations are not that severe. Cut a long story short. 6 weeks after I finished chemo I was now di- uh, diagnosed with congestive heart failure what it is is the chemotherapy that was meant to save my life mm-hmm. had irrevocably changed my my, my 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 sorry irrevocably damaged my heart mm-hmm. the heart damage doctor was so severe that I was indicated for a heart transplant look at that however we could not have the heart transplant or I could not be put on a organ donor list because I, or recipient list, because I had the cancer mm-hmm. and the heart disease. So there was a chance that one of, one of the two might kill me.
0: And so this is now people, doctors making the decision that you know what, yes, we know you need a new heart, but because of this, these two conditions that you have, we're not going to put you on the list because there's a high chance that you'll die anyway. Absolutely. Which is, is what you were told.
1: Yes. And people, there are so many other people who need, A new heart And other people have better survival prospects than yourself And, you know, that was very difficult for my family As I said, I had just turned 37 I was a high flyer I dare say I was very cute Had had absolute attitude And I was looking forward to reinventing myself as a human rights lawyer Mm. Working for women and children That's So you asked me, how did I end up with health? Uh, because now I had become so sick, and what happened eventually is I was not fit enough to practice my career. Mm. So here I was, almost dying. I was very, very sick. And I sat from my hospital bed, very lonely process, about nine months on oxygen and other things. So when I was up, I would think of, in your last remaining months, how would you like to make a difference? Oh, so handy. I decided that I would out myself uh, as a breastless woman. That's mm. why I'm called at Breastless Africa On Twitter. B- on Twitter because I felt very strongly from like about the third week after my amputation that as a black young woman, I should say to the general public, you know, there is this disease called breast cancer mm-hmm. and there are these mes- 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 Medical interventions, one of them is surgery. Mm. And here you are now sitting, breathless, mm. in a world that is so obsessed, Doctor, you know, mm. with cleavage and looking cool and, you know, the woman's sexual appeal. Here I was, I had lost it.
0: Mm. And you, I mean, you say you were in hospital for nine months. I cannot imagine. What that was like i cannot imagine what that was like
1: i was in and out of hospital for a period of nine months mm. uh it, it it was very lonely you come home for a week then the heart just starts acting up completely again but that whole process of having people pick you up Help you to walk. Open things. Comb your hair. Help you to bath. Help to help you to bath. Excuse yeah. me. I need to go to the bathroom. People are standing at your bathroom door when you're having your most intimate of processes. Mm. Uh, and you know, I, I'm going to keep emphasizing the fact that I had been a hot young chick with a lot of attitude and mm. suddenly suddenly you know we talk about cancer and almost dying we're always thinking of old people no. and when we talk you know we're going to be talking to assisted suicide all of us that are sitting there out there the average person thinks we're only talking about the terminally ill people never factor in what happens if I'm suddenly in a car crash and I'm rendered mentally Unfit or physically, you know, you just are now facing your mortality. We, we need to understand that as much as we are born, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. You're the doc, but I haven't heard of an, an opt out clause where somebody can say, ah, I'm uh, exempt. I'm not going to die. Yeah, so we... we, you know, we try to think we're not going to die, but we are going to die. And it's important that we talk about dying from as early as possible that we, we normalize, if I can use that term, the process of dying and come to terms and come to accept it as a natural progression
0: and you, of and, the and, circle of life. Yeah, and you highlight something important that I mean, when we think of dying, we always think of the of old age and so on. But, but here you were at 37 and you had faced death in the eye. I mean, you were actually now thinking, I could actually die. The chemo might not work. The bilateral mastectomy might not work. I might metastasize and still die. And what went through your mind? the the issue of the the issue of pain, you know. I mean, and this is where assisted dying is the topic. Like, if you had ended up in in hospital, Guanele, bedridden, in pain all day. I mean, you're on morphine; they've given you everything. What would you want your doctor or your family to do for you?
1: You know, my situation was so pronounced that we actually had to talk. About my death. You actually did. We actually did. Wow. Um, the heart was not pumping at a level that it should. Uh, as I keep saying, uh, I was on, on oxygen. Yeah. So there was a time where my family and I actually had to sit around my hospital bed and I had to say what I wanted for myself. Mm. Uh, you talk about the pain people who have not had a terminal illness like cancer do not understand cancer pain.
0: Oh yes, I can. I can vouch for that. I think even at medical school, when we are when we are taught about pain, it's all. I mean, we taught about pain and anesthesia, and um, I don't think we even understand how important it is for us to manage pain. I don't yeah. think I don't think we pay enough attention during that block, and if we did, you know, we'd help cancer patients better. So there is the the huge,
1: incredible bone pain that literally used to reduce me to, to tears. So... When I was released the one year f- for a short visit home, things mm. were looking very bad. My doctors did not think I would see 38. Th- I would end my 37th year, let alone get to 38, and I'm very proud to say I'm 46. I'm wow. probably one of the crazy women that talk about their age. I'm very proud of every second that I've lived. But when I I was sitting there uh, contemplating my mortality, I went into therapy with my psychologist we talked about my dying wishes. We, I read books uh, on dying and letting go and making peace. And, you know, I'm a diva. I was dying, but I still said how many people should come to my funeral. How many? Oh, man. <laughs> I said by invitation only because, you know, oh. why should people, especially who are not coming to see me in hospital with cancer, why should I give them a chance to go dress up? And play oh, nice. you had, social tears you had, you had this convo with your psychologist I had the convo with my psychologist I had the convo with my mother My brother oh, and my niece uh, They were coming to visit me In hospital one day and I said Please bring me a notebook and a pen And be prepared We're going to have to have an honest talk My children were still very young So that's why it was very important My daughter was 7 My son was 13 And I am divorced and I I was just newly divorced at that time. So fortunately, I was married and I I had a fabulous man, father of my children. And we, uh, we had an agreement on how we would share custody. We didn't go claw each other's eyes out. So it was very important to me that my family understood the wonderful relationship that the father of my children and I have and that they helped him going forward with raising the children. In black culture, we have traditions about burial and mourning and grief. So I didn't want people to say, your uncle says your body must be brought to a place I had never heard. And antagonizing my husband, my ex-husband, who was now the sole parent for my children. I I wanted support, and I was very...
0: Control-freakish, but it was important. And you wrote everything down and you made Uh, sure that everybody understood.
1: And everybody understood. mum, dear brother, niece, Mm. and the rest of the family, your duty is to support this man as best as you can. Wow. To support the children through the, the loss. This is what I would have loved to be able to share with them going forward. Please make sure that they remember that I love them. Here's a letter for this one. Here's a letter for that one. These are my wishes for them mm. going forward.
0: And your will was in order. Everything was in order.
1: Everything was in order.
0: And in your moments when you're lying there on your own, Gwanele, like, you know, in, you're lying there, you're in pain, your bones are sore, as you're saying, what what would you say? Do you believe in God? I am spiritual. Okay, I,
1: I practice more the Eastern traditions, yeah. especially Buddhism. Okay. Uh, that's I I like the notion of all things bright and beautiful, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no, the human beings are greater animals than the rest of creation. Okay.
0: So, so in those moments when you're on your own, it's just you, you know, no, everyone's gone, no nurses, no doctors around you, your deepest thoughts, what were you thinking? What were you hoping for? Were you hoping that you could just go in peace and and just wake up and then, you you know, you're gone. You wake up on the other side. Were you hoping that this cancer could be taken away? What were you thinking?
1: Jock, I had been sick for a very long time. Yeah. You know, I don't want to glamorize cancer. And, you know, we have this wonderful notion of survivors as these invincible, you know, hardcore people. Yeah. The truth is being uh, critically ill is a very long process. There are lots of tears. There's a lot of anger, especially when you suddenly were diagnosed at the height of your life. Mm -hmm. Like everybody else, I had thought that I'll be a multimillionaire at 40. Mm -hmm. And here I was, something that I had not thought of and planned for was happening. I was now a dying woman. And what I wanted for myself was that I would just die peacefully. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes when you get – when I would get very frustrated, I would wish that, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, maybe I should take an overdose of these tablets mm-hmm. and just die and be done with. And people would say, you know, then what, what kept you? Why didn't you do it? Mm-hmm. My children.
0: So that's what kept you my alive. My
1: children. And, you know, just – wanting to to be in the moment even as unpleasant as it was
0: Mm. and in terms of the dignity that you're afforded in in hospitals in hospices and so on what what more needs to be done I, I mean I know that when I was still a medical student and also when I worked as a you know when I still worked in the in the public sector dignity is a very big thing and I was one of those doctors that was so big on dignity so if we were doing a ward round And, you know, we get to a bed and people just start talking to the patient. I'll be like, no, 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 no. This is Mrs. Whoever and stuff like that. So I was known for that, even at Barra. I remember once in a pediatric ward round a grand ward round where everyone's there. We get to a bed and I just took the time to explain to the mom that my mom, so sorry that there's so many of us here, but this is professor. This is who, this is who, this is who. And this is the reason why we're here. We're here to see your baby for this reason. And the professor was so shocked because in all the time, in all the years he'd been at Barra, no one had ever introduced the patient. Dignity is everything. So when you look at your, 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 your hospital stay, and just interacting with our system, the health system, how much dignity were you afforded?
1: Unfortunately, we live in a very um unequal society yeah I'm one of the twelve percent of South Africans who have access to medical, medical aid. aid yeah uh the reality is the bulk of South Africans do not mm-hmm. and unfortunately, those who can afford always end up getting treated better mm-hmm. uh i I like what you said about The dignity of people People must understand I don't know where we get the disconnect That somebody is a person We respect them But as soon as they are sick and vulnerable, We want to deprive them Of their human dignity We start processing them as stats They become file names They become their disease And that whole process But even when you are in private care The truth is Your doctors still treat you as an interesting medical case In my case, yes. doctors would say That, you know, black women at this age Do Don't not get breast, breast cancer, cancer. Oh, yes, I can imagine, you uh, must have
0: been yeah. a case study
1: Of that. Uh, And And again, you know, heart damage Is a rare occurrence Oh, this is very interesting, we should talk to our colleagues you know we should have a conference call with our colleagues in the U- U.S. this is an interesting case Unfortunately, I'm trained as a lawyer and I could push back and I'm, I'm, I'm quite a vocal I push back I said excuse me I, I am a person I am a consumer you get paid by me and You know, I visit my doctors from time to time now that I'm well, and my nurses. I love them because I lived so long Mm -hmm. with them. And one of the nurses recently was telling me that on your file they had put an angry woman. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) she she has issues. She she has issues. Speaking up? No, because people would arrive. You know, my normal doctor would go have a break, and then somebody would come as a locum. And the locum would arrive and just start talking.
0: Well, that comes.
1: Or, or pull the curtain and start talking, and I would have to say, Excuse me, good morning.
0: Well, that's just the thing, Juanela. That's is just the thing. And I think, and I think this is where, when, you know, seriously, when I become Minister of Health, every medical student is going to have to go for some or other, you know, like course on, on how to speak to patients and really dig within your heart and treat people with dignity. Really, you cannot just pull a curtain and start speaking to the person. And you, and you you've, you've, you've You've put it so well that when a person is still well, we treat them like a human being. The moment they're sick, mm-hmm. they just become a thing or a bed number or a diagnosis. And I don't know if it's us uh, as me- as medical people trying to um, shield ourselves from getting too involved. I don't know what it is. Because one, one of the things that I always got when I was at when I was still working was you're too emotional. Even now I get told that you're too emotional. You get too involved with the patients. But you cannot not get emotional. You can't. This is someone's mom or someone's granny or someone's dad. You can't just – I'm getting upset because – I saw it so many times. But but doctor,
1: you know, I love when we depersonalize people. That's that, the when, when they become patients. That's the word. I want to say I'm a lawyer. So I have a qualification behind my name. And I do not cease to be a professional when I get sick. Mm-hmm. And what doctors need to understand is the doctor can become the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people... I, I tend think, oh, to yeah. push back things they think it's never going to happen mm. to them. And I want us to come back to this notion of assisted dying and to really talk about what do we mean when we're talking about assisted dying? Mm. What do we mean when we're talking about terminal illness? Mm. And, and, and who gets to choose? What, from a bioethics point of view, what is very important is respect for the person. Absolutely. And according people who are of sound mind to make their life choices, their medical choices. And so respect for persons, doctors are by law and through the social contract that we have entered into as a society are invited to help us get better. Yes. But getting better is not always possible. Mm. And we need to start having social conversations about what ought to happen if I am not one of the people who will get better. Yeah. Uh, what is terminal illness? We're talking about people who have a projected six to less months of life. So in the issue of assisted dying, we would be saying if somebody has the ability to make... Uh, medical choices without being coerced or undue influence. Those are big words, coercion. It's when people start saying, but you have to do this. Your doctor mm-hmm. or your family start giving you hint, hint, hint. Oh, it would be nice for you if you, it, yeah, if you no. could do this. That's coercion. Or, or undue influence, oh, but you are suffering, wouldn't you want to end mm. your suffering? I, I've listened to people talk about assisted dying, and most of the arguments people keep saying, oh, but we're going to be taking advantage of old, senile, handicapped persons. And I'm saying, wait, South Africa, stop. Enter into this discussion on your own behalf. Exactly. I do not care if you are Seven years old, nine years old, 15, 20. Unfortunately, death is a life event that we do not know the when of. Absolutely. So if anybody can tell me, oh, I'm going to definitely die at 25. No, sorry, I know nobody wants to die at 25. Everybody thinks they're going to die when they're 70. The reality is we do not have control over that. Mm. Uh, we have made huge social strides in terms of how we handle the beginning of life, which is life, uh, sorry, birth, mm. uh, you know, we have parties to buy clothes <laughs> for the baby. We, we, you know, we pamper the mother, we send flowers, we celebrate, we're so excited, yeah, that's so true. but, we, and Women can have elective se- se- uh, Seasons, seizures yeah. because of medical reasons, but also women we know can have elective seizures because they want to have control over when they're going to give birth. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting that we would give, as a society, people leeway to do that with with birth. And when we are saying, okay, let us now afford people Who are terminally ill, who are living in incredible pain, who are never going to get better? In medicine, we have the notion of futility. Mm. This is when doctors have done everything possible to try to get you better, but there are no medical solutions that are going to give you a chance to live. Mm. So we should allow those people. We allow people to, you know, we're crazy. I think and. Pardon me. I'm not insulting your listeners, but I think we are—we we have irrational discussions that we will allow people to have lip uh, enlargements. <laughs> we will have people to have false boobs. You know the boob job. I believe you can have a butt implant <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but we're not willing to let people who are critically ill
0: make decisions.
1: Over their own life
0: and, th- and that's the reason why I specifically got you For this particular topic Because you have faced death You understand what it is To be terminally ill and so on But we'll be back after the song break And um, I want to tackle um, The Minister of Health statements That he made about a sister dying Cliffcentral.com
1: I am the future of South Africa On my shoulders I carry the hopes and dreams Of generations to come I'm eager to learn But even more eager To use my knowledge for good I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its
0: weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. Unreal. Uncensored. Unradio. com. Well, welcome back. Um, this is Dr. Cindy Siafran at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. And my guest this morning is Guanele Asandia Shongwe. Her Twitter handle is at BreastlistAfrique, B-R-E-A-S-T-L-E-S-S-A-F-R-I-K. And she's been sharing with us her journey, I mean, her journey with breast cancer and, um, a chronic heart condition and just also now we're gonna get into the nitty gritty of assisted dying. Okwanele is a lawyer and she has a special interest in bioethics and she's currently a student at, at Wits University and she's working under the amazing Professor Ames Dye, So she really has a strong background in ethics. So I think yeah before we go to Minister of Health statement one, let's just get into the nitty gritty of what assisted dying is and 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 I, as I said, a lot of people don't really understand what it entails. So I think you know this is where you break down the components for us.
1: Oh, thank you, doctor. We're talking about assisted dying. What we need to understand is assisted dying falls within a basket of what we call end of life choices. Mm -hmm. Medicine is a continuum. You get diagnosed, you get treated and some, most people get better, but some patients don't, don't recover. Mm -hmm. And then we get to, as we said earlier, at, before we went to break, you, we get to a place where we say "Its mu- uh, treatment is futile, mm. which is big medical ease for treatment is unhelpful in and is of no benefit. Yeah, we've done everything. We, yeah. There's nothing more to yeah. be done. So, you know, patients can then be sent for palliative care. Okay. Uh, and then that's when people go either home or they go to a hospice. So we have palliative care. We have withdrawal of treatment, which is when somebody, for instance, like myself, you are being treated for cancer. Your treatments are not working. The doctors will then stop your treatment and hence the word withdrawal of treatment. Mm-hmm. Then we have a third uh, process called um, withholding of treatment. This is, for instance, and that's why I said, you know, when we talk about assisted dying, we must not always just be thinking of the frail old people Mm. or the cancer patient. We must also factor in the reality of somebody who leaves home to go to work, gets into a car crash, and is now fighting for their life. Mm. So with those kind of situations, let's say somebody goes into cardiac arrest Mm -hmm. and they see that we cannot resuscitate this person we go to not giving them treatment which is the uh the withholding of treatment so we've said palliative care withholding of treatment withdrawal of treatment and something that is very controversial and that's what we're talking about assisted dying and i
0: don't, i mean the term assisted suicide i see it a lot in in, in some of the newspaper articles i don't know that that's that's a correct term i
1: do not personally like and you know you see i have through and through cu- kept talking of assisted dying mm. uh suicide is very emotive uh people think selfishness P- people put too much uh, judgment uh so the assisted uh so or, 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 yeah i i don't like the labeling yeah i i think it is proper that we call it assisted dying. It's not a term that I'm making up. It's a term in bioethics.
0: And I also think about. I also think the same way about the term euthanasia. I mean, first of all, euthanasia just makes me think of animals. Whenever I think of euthanasia, I think of dogs being put down and so on and so on. So Pre- precisely. <laughs> so <to laughs> precisely. Use, to use the same phrase for human beings is also not doesn't sit well with me. And, and,
1: and when we use that uh, euthanasia, we, we're thinking. Precisely what you're saying, and I love that you brought it up. Mm. We're thinking, oh, we're going to poop mom down. We're putting, you know, this this, this selfishness and ugliness and vindictiveness in, in this. So as much as we talk about the beautiful process of birth, let us start having rational, unemotive, well thought of conversations about dying Mm. we are all going to die
0: and it is okay to die mm. so the minister of health okay so basically his statement in a few words was doctors are not god okay so this is, how, this is what he feels about assisted sister dying and i must tell you i mean just amongst my friends um you know we don't all agree as i told you i mean i'm sitting on the fence when it comes to sister dying only because of my own personal experience with my mother and watching her in icu and so on so i really don't know uh, maybe it's just too early for me to be making such decisions considering how emotional i still am about her her dying but um Just the whole, the whole notion that doctors are not God. I think this is one of those topics where your, yeah, your religious beliefs will weigh heavily on, on whether you'd assist a a patient to die or not. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, yes, doctors don't know everything and you can't, you know, even if someone is given like six weeks to live, you never know. I mean, you were, you were given a few months to live and here you are so many years later and you're still alive. So what are your thoughts around that, Guanel? You know,
1: doctors are not God, and (laughs) that's one of the the things I used to say to my doctors in my hey rebel days. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have this thing that we call the social contract. As society, we have said there are a bunch of people who will qualify for this noble profession, and we will call them doctors, Mm -hmm. and their duties are to help us get better, to look after life. And part of that social contract we say we will accord them respect uh in exchange that they will exercise their duty of care towards patients with 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 diligence uh and and thoughtfulness and now medicine has evolved you know there there's so many things that we're not. Possible before in medicine, and with the progression in science, we're doing far more and more things that we're not that we normally did not think of Mm. initially. So we've come to places where we can help women who are infertile or who have fertility problems rather to conceive. Mm. We can also prolong life. Uh, We can fend off dangerous dangerous diseases that used to kill thousands of people at one given time mm. so yes doctors are not God and when we talk about the social contract and when we talk about assisted dying we must always be mindful that there are two parties the patient and the doctor mm. and much as I emphasize that we must look after what a competent rational person wants for themselves in accordance with the notion of respect for persons, we also must accord thought to the person of the doctor. The doctor is a human being. You keep saying, I get emotional. I like to introduce my patients. I like to, to accord them their personhood. Uh, therefore as patients, as society, we must also not force doctors to do things that are, they are personally
0: uncomfortable and with,
1: yeah. with. A doctor, In law and at bioethics cannot opt out of helping a choking child sitting right in front of them. But we are not asking doctors to be superheroes. We, as society, would think it is irrational to expect that a doctor would plunge him or herself into a raging inferno to save somebody. Mm. Doctors, most of the time, do good. <laughs> Most of the time. Mm,
0: as, as, as per the Hippocratic Oath, I think that's, 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 that's what guides everything that we do. The Absolutely. Hippocratic order, the, that we need to preserve life. We need to do everything that we can to save lives.
1: And, and it, it says do no harm. Yeah. And I want us to entertain this notion of do no harm. The truth is doctors do harm all the time. Mm-hmm. And we have given them as part of this social contract, the permission to do harm. Let's mm-hmm. use myself as a, an example: yeah. amputating a woman's breast mm. <laughs> or oh, breasts is <laughs> doing harm. But we are doing that harm in order to potentially save my life yeah. to pro- uh, to stop the cancer from progressing to other parts of my body. So as society, we have this notion of informed consent Mm -hmm. where the doctor will tell the patient, this is what we're going to do to you, Quinella. Sorry, you're 37 and hot, but we're going to have to cut both your breasts off to try and save your life. And because I'm a rational patient who understands why we need to cut my breasts, I say, okay, I give you permission to go and intentionally do harm to me, i.e. remove my breasts. To save my life. Because there is a justifiable reason, which is to save my
0: and, life. And and the and the key word there is rational, you're mentally competent. I mean, this notion that patients are going to be um, killed off so that their families can get um, pension money or insurance money. I mean, the patient has to be rational and mentally competent. This patient has to agree that this is what's going to be done.
1: There is a duty at law and at bioethics for doctors to explain a patient's diagnosis, their treatment options, the costs of the treatment, the harms and the benefits. When we talk about, oh, but you must go on chemo, we don't often say chemo has the potential to save life, but chemo also has the potential to to harm. And here I am sitting saying the treatment that was meant to help me has almost killed me. Yeah, it messed so, up your hearts. Yes. So yeah. the notion of harm is very big mm. in medicine. And, you know, we must not, I, I heard the minister talking about doctors must not do harm. Doctors must not do harm. Doctors must not do, must not do unintentional, unauthorized harm. Mm. So doctors... Contrary to what every uh, most of the people who are against assisted dying say, Mm -hmm. that people are going to get killed nilly willy
0: No, Uh, the patient has, first of all, you have to be terminally ill. So, we you have to have a condition that we know we've tried everything and really, really, there's nothing more that can be done. And secondly, you have to be mentally competent. So, we're not going to be it's not going to be a case of someone lying in ICU, unconscious on life support, and now, oh, assisted dying. No, the patient has to be awake and rational and competent and make that election and that election is
1: is to be made only by the patients and doctors also are bound to do what is in the best interest of the patient Mm. so let's talk about oh no but we can't kill them we must let nature take its process if I'm telling you that somebody is in enormous pain They can't take themselves to the bathroom. They can't wash them. They can't talk. They're lying there. They're battling to breathe. Really, is it compassionate to insist that they must just lie there until nature takes its course?
0: Mm, That's a very good question. If you were in those shoes, what would you want for yourself? Absolutely. And
1: that's why I will keep... Emphasizing that listeners, regardless of our age, we must all think and apply our minds.
0: What would you want for yourself? What would
1: I want done for me in a case that I'm not able to talk? You cannot say, what would I like to be done for my mother? Mm. That would be murder And if you and your doctor are sitting and plotting What you want done for your mother That is illegal That is not what we are authorizing people to do And by the way we must also realize That we have not decided as a society What requirements or what frameworks we will put into place To govern the issue of Assisted suicide uh, uh, Dying, sorry, there I go Using the N word (laughs) myself (laughs) But you know We have had these difficult conversations Before about Abortions And we have come to a place where We have set out who may Have an abortion under what Circumstances performed by who Uh, And there are very Strict guiding lines on that The same will happen with assisted suicide. Uh the case last week brought us to a very important point in society because it it has made us have this conversation. I mean Well and
0: sit up, yeah. You know, did you think this.
1: that you would be sitting on a Monday morning talking about dying no, not when at we all. could, you know, be at work but we are at work actually. <laughs> <laughs> but we're just talking about a a topic that most people find very frightful. Mm, well, I, I think we're scared to talk about death because it's so final. It, you know, we all think we're going to be here forever. We're going to get to to own the beautiful house on the French Riviera. Right. If we have modest aspirations, I don't know what we want to do. We want to go on a spiritual retreat. Mm. Um, there are burning social conversations that need to be had in this country around health Mm. and access and you know what is available to whom when and under what circumstances and assisted dying is just one of four of of end-of-life choices nobody is forced to do it but I do not think any one of us has a right to want to decide for anyone else it's always it it's a personal thing us. It yeah. is for us If we qualify in terms of The social rules, the legal frameworks That will be put in place in this regard
0: Well, so I've got a message from Inappropriate on WeChat You can message us on WeChat, by the way You can call us 0861 six one triple five one eight nine, And he says that um, You know, what about Emotional sickness, emotional pain You know, should, should a sister dying Be allowed in that circumstance that That's a very important
1: question And a question that uh people like myself Who are advocates for assisted dying Have had to grapple with Yeah, um, There's a fancy word that escapes me Because people, please remember, I'm not a doctor <laughs> <laughs> I'm a patient I am, I'm a doctor by default Or I'm involved with the thing But they, there's a the notion of unbearable emotional pain where somebody is completely rendered unable to move to breathe to you know it's a side of mental illness that people don't understand that somebody can be and there are people who say yes we may we must make allowance for people with you know I am a Motswana and it's too early in the morning to think in English, and this English word just won't come. But just imagine somebody who is incapacitated completely, cannot do anything because of emotional pain. I personally, as, from a bioethics point of view, yeah, uh, from a legal framework, I think we ought to include those people. Mm. From a legal perspective, I would be arguing from section. Nine three mm-hmm. Unfair discrimination. If we are going to say we are according terminally ill patients the right to die at law, what justification, legal justification, would we use to exclude? other people on the basis that they have an illness that is not physical.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's very really interesting, um, Guinelli. And in terms of your um, your studies, um, I know you're studying at, at Wits University. Um, d- like when you guys sit around and you're discussing all of these things, what different opinions come up? I mean, are you all of the same thinking? I mean, I don't believe that everyone in bioethics necessarily... Is for assisted dying. The community should be, and
1: your listeners should be very comforted to know that bioethicists. Yeah, that's a very fancy term. Huh? Yeah, and
0: yeah, yeah. Please break that down for us, bioethics. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that.
1: Uh, bio, bioethicists are not of one religion. We're not all a bunch of left lefties and liberals. Um, when we had this discussion in class last year, I am twenty percent away from being called. By ethicist and I have been practicing because it rolls off the tongue. Um, there were about 22 of us in class. Yeah. And I can very safely say about probably only three of us were comfortable. And of course you can guess who was more, most comfortable and who was the big advocate. Mm. So a lot of people do not like the issue of assisted Dying. Yeah. Um, a lot of medics, the people in my class, about out of the 22, 19 were highly specialized doctors.
0: Oh no, of course then it's not going to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I was working so hard oh. to convert them. <laughs> and I, I must, I'm happy to report that we've made some progress. This year, the Biko Center for Bioethics at WITS University, uh, on the 14th of this month, we are going to host a conversation on exactly what Dr. Cindy and I So we are here Oh that's ahead, fantastic I, mean, I think I got about, the email I got yeah. the email
0: I'll, I'll, I'll On the 14th Yeah I'll definitely post that talking, on Twitter We will be talking
1: End of life choices
0: Fantastic I've, I'm
1: going to keep repeating that word Until people talk about yeah. End of life choices Instead of uh, Assisted the, suicide uh, Assisted ass- ass- suicide ass- And, ass- and ass- the emotional the nature, And yeah. the floodgates And everybody's going to bo- be running around uh, killing, killing everybody people, else yeah, No, no. Please, society. Let us just be honest. We are mostly very vain. We like to try to even stop uh, ourselves from aging. You know, we we do so many things. We, you know, when we talk about medicine, how medicine has changed. We have the use of medicine for non-medical things Mm. like cosmetic surgery Mm, and and society. We sit and we're comfortable to let people do all these things because it's their body. Shouldn't we be affording the same uh, compassion and permission to people who... Who do
0: not have choices to get better. Mm. And, and to like in your, in your spare time, what else are you working on? I know you're very oh, passionate about bioethics and I absolutely love uh, it.
1: And from a bioethics point of view, doctor, I must say that I'm researching the issue of pharmaceutical patents okay. and access to medicines. That's
0: good. Because for me. That's a very good, big conversation to be had.
1: Yes, that's a very big conversation because, you know, as much as we say people should be given medicines and capital life until nature takes this course yeah. the reality is most people who have a sight, uh, fighting chance do not have access to medicines when I'm not studying I also am a very vocal uh cancer activist yeah um my work in cancer also centers around educating the public I just believe that people when they understand what is cancer yeah as much as we're doing what is assisted suicide and we break it down for them, people are then more inclined to want to reduce their risk of getting the disease. I do not believe in the notion of talking at patients. I want, and I love you doctor, because I, I know that you love to yeah, I talk, talk to, to patients. People yeah. uh, we should, as professionals we should never use our platforms and our qualifications to to dismiss, to, to 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 yeah. What's the word? To be above mm. the people we're looking to serve. Yeah, for, no, talking for me, down. I,
0: yeah, talking down at patients has never helped. Never helped. I think I could, I picked this up very quickly, um, in my in my medical career and just in medical school as well. That you cannot talk down at patients. You want your patients to leave your rooms totally understanding what is happening, why it's happening, and how we can make things better. And you know, it rega- makes all the difference. And
1: regardless of their educational yeah. level. Uh, I'm studying bioethics because I'm very interested in helping, in the spirit of Steve Biko, yeah. Africa develop African solutions, African approaches to things. Yes. Uh, when we're talking about assisted Su- uh, dying. Dying, yeah. Oh my goodness, I think they put I'm drinking their water I think they put something in their <laughs> water to trip me up So that I keep saying assisted. No, no, it's, it's, <laughs>
0: it's only because uh, Listen, it's only because we Absolutely, don't like that term. That phrase, yeah. assisted yeah. suicide and assisted euthanasia, those two things are not the same as assisted dying. So don't yeah. worry. It's like so,
1: a- so assisted dying within an African context, how would that work?
0: Mm-hmm. We, and you we need how, to have this discussion. Yeah. How,
1: you know, how do we respect people who live in villages? Uh, you know, uh, is assisted dying something that will only be available to middle class people in Santon? Uh, people who, you know, other people have said this have, do not have a threshold for suffering, want to be released from things. You know, I, when I hear these kind of boo-boo arguments, I sit and get this image of somebody sipping a pina colada somewhere on a beach and deciding, hmm, I've had enough. I don't want to live anymore. I'm going to apply for assisted dying. Threshold for it pain. It ain't really. going to happen. Yeah. People who will want to access this are people who are terminally ill. Mm-hmm. And how do we help terminally ill patients in the raw areas who often don't even have the most basic pain medicines? Well,
0: the most that's basic access to palliative care or that, And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
1: Even just the most basic Pain medicines, people who do not have access to chemotherapies, things that we take for granted, mm. uh, things. So that's why, you know, I am using my lived
0: experience to advocate for those people. And that is why your experience, your lived experience makes all the difference. Your voice is so strong because you have been there, done that. Been there, done that, and... I am mindful that
1: I am in cancer remission at the moment, mm-hmm. but I am still on active treatment. I will be on active treatment for the rest of my life. I take a hell lot of pills. It's very unsexy, you know. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm single and hoping Are to you get. you on the market? I'm on the market, and I, I don't think I think I'm easy on the eye, but you know. It's just you're, beautiful. Oh, really? you're beautiful. I'm easy on the eye. I'm, I'm looking, <laughs> but damn, when you say to your guy, hi, I don't have breasts and I have an implantable defibrillator. What's that? Uh You know, it's a heart machine in case my heart fails to pump at a certain time. At, at a certain time it comes in and intervenes for me. You know, I, it's a heavy deck of cards to play, but I am privileged within an African context that I have these things mm-hmm. and I am committed to using the years of good health to help gain the most basic access and dignity for people who are facing cancer like myself. My disease might come back because breast cancer is not curable yeah. and I am forced to entertain this topic. What would I want done for me if my cancer comes back? Given also that I have a heart condition, so mm-hmm. I would be in a really messy situation.
0: Yeah.
1: I do not want my family to keep me on life support, on oxygen, thinking that they're doing it to love me. Yeah. I would love to go with dignity. And I, I, I I would like to be received. Doctor is choking up and I am choking up now, so um but I feel very strongly that the dignity with which I live my life now should be accorded me in dying. I do not want people to make choices for me and it is not for anybody to Thanks. decide
0: how Cornelia Asante is going to die. Oh, thank you so much, Vanilla. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Our time has run out, but I will be tweeting about about where people can find you. And, yeah, I'll see you guys. Um Yeah, I'll see you guys. I'll be back here on the 18th. Next week I'm in Harare, Zimbabwe, and someone else will be doing the show, but I'll be back here on the 18th. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you, much. Doctor, for having me.